Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, February 20th, 2019. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me, and this is a special Eye on College Basketball After Dark edition. It's like 12.50 a.m. Eastern. I just got out of studio in New York City. Norlander is up late at home in Connecticut, and we both spent part of Tuesday night watching Purdue and Indiana miss shots. Purdue took twenty, uh, took 60 shots, missed 41 of them, shot 31.7% from the field, and won 48-46 on a Matt Harms tip-in in the final seconds, and that's because Indiana took 55 shots, missed 40 of them, shot 27.3% from the field. Hoosiers had 15 field goals and 17 turnovers. It was so ugly, Romeo Langford started puking on the sideline. So now Indiana has gone from 12-2 and to 13-3 and with the most recent loss being an ugly loss at home to a rival. First time Purdue has won three straight games inside Assembly Hall, I believe in school history. Norlander, how bad have things gotten? For Archie Miller's Indiana basketball team, horrendously bad. But unless I'm mistaken, and I've been I've been tracking a number of things tonight, so I think I have this right. Maybe maybe you're right. Did you say three times in Assembly Hall? Yes. Okay, because they have won three straight on the road against Indiana, but that was like way way back when. So I'm guessing Assembly Hall wasn't in existence when that happened, right? I'm going to have to plead ignorance to that. I, I just feel like that what I told you is something I read somewhere. It's, some exactly. It's something like that. It had been a long time since Purdue pulled this off. A couple things. One, I want to give our uh, a few listeners a shout-out for following up on just amusing a wonderment that I had on the previous podcast in the airport, yes. And that was just, you know, were there parallels, any parallels or similar teams to what Indiana has become where they're not going to be anywhere near the NCAA tournament, yet they're going to have three wins over, you know, four seeds or better, five seeds or better. A couple of close nominees, but no one's been able to give me something yet. Um, so here's my other wonderment is Indiana was 12-2 and overall, 3-0 and on January 3rd. Now, I know there are teams in recent seasons that have done this, but frankly, <laughs> with all the stuff we have to do, I just I haven't dedicated, you know, 45 minutes worth of research to this. Maybe it's worth a column at some point, who knows. What teams spring to mind over the past, let's just narrow it down to, you know, the past 20 years. Uh, and potentially you have one that that pops to mind. Uh, I have one and that's Clemson from 2007, which didn't even show as much promise as this team, but whatever. Where a, a team from a major conference started so strong, looking good, and and it just completely c- cratered. Like this this thing with Indiana is straight up weird. Now they have had a rough schedule of it, but that's there's just no excuse. We we gave up making excuses for Indiana basically once they fell to Rutgers, which preceded what is maybe going to go down as one of the more aberrational victories of the season, and that's the win at Michigan State when they did not even have Juwan Morgan for more than half the game. So, yeah, this officially drops them to 500 on the season, 13-13 and 13 overall. You, th- you think they've hit bottom, but then they now have to go to Iowa. Like, they got to do that on Friday. That's just a really tough ask here. The, you, you mentioned the puking. I didn't even see the first, like, 25 minutes of game time in this with just checking on other games and doing other stuff. But I turned it on Parrish, and it was like 31-29 with 10.05 to go in the game. And I'm like, what is, what is happening here? I, was, I wasn't I was so surprised that I guess Indiana was that bad, but Purdue played down to its level, and then 
my last thought on this is that the game ends and like Matt Harms had the tip in and he won it for him. Matt, Har Matt Harms was ready to revive this hated rivalry to levels it hadn't seen since the Bob Knight era, just like screaming his lungs out. And I'm sure that IU fans are just bathing in their loathing of, uh, of Mr. Harms. But congrats to Purdue, which continues to move up in the, uh, in the Bracatelli forecast in light of this win. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that my strength is not remembering things from 15 years ago that happened in college basketball or nine years ago or even nine weeks ago. I had trouble remembering where the Champions Classic was or the CBS Sports Classic was just a few weeks ago. If you want somebody who can remember everything that's ever happened in the sport, John Rothstein is your man. He will sit there with Brendan Haywood in studio, and they'll be talking about a game from Brendan's career. And John will be like, yeah, you had 22 and 11 in that game, right? Brandon's like, I have no idea. John's like, yeah, it was 22 and 11. It's like, how do you know that? He really can remember all sorts of stuff. That ain't me. But I will say this. When you asked that question, the first and really only team that popped into my head, that same Clemson team, 2007 Clemson, because they were undefeated deep into the season. They didn't have a whole bunch of like great wins, but still they were like 17 and 0 and then they end up missing the NCAA tournament. You know how hard that is to do, to be a power conference team that starts 17-0 and miss the NCAA tournament? But that's what they did on that one. Shouts to Oliver Purnell. You might remember I almost named my second child Oliver Purnell Parish. You almost did that. I'm almost <laughs> – yeah, that is uh, – <laughs> those are some classic pod days when that almost <laughs> happened. Uh, that Clemson team, by the way, I'm almost positive, has this distinction – of being the only team in the modern NCAA tournament era to be the final undefeated team in a season. They were the last team to lose that season and not make the NCAAs. That was a, that was an infamous Clemson group. But even that group, it didn't have the roster makeup, the preseason expectations. Uh, frankly, with all respects to to OPP, like you know me, I I got nothing but love for Oliver Purnell. Um, there just wasn't the circumstances surrounding that team with the way it is gone with Indiana. And uh, I know we have a, a hearty Indiana uh, listenership there. I'm sure that this has just gotten to the point where th they might not even know what to do with their emotions, although I'm sure there are, there are message boards that indicate otherwise. But uh, it's a weird year, and we don't need a 15-minute exposition on, on the overall uh, coaching um outlook on Archie Miller but I'm not going to sell on him like I'll still say right now 2025 Archie Miller's coaching Indiana will you agree with me yeah I will but that's a lot of years to spend in Indiana <laughs> you know with uh with uh, such an intense fan base um I, I'll tell you I am surprised by how it's going though I'm still a believer in Arch but I'm surprised by this I, I'm rarely I get asked so many questions in so many different forms every day where I have, I'm speaking publicly, whether it's on a radio show or, or a podcast or on television, that I'm, I'm really caught off guard by a question. I can either answer it um, intelligently or I can fake it for the most part, but I can get by. I say all that to say I was on an Indiana-centric podcast either right after Archie got hired or at some point last year, and the host asked me, if Archie Miller doesn't succeed at Indiana, what will be the reason? And I sat there for a second and I said, you know what? I've never actually considered that as a possibility. It's never even occurred to me to think about what might be a reason Archie Miller's not going to succeed at Indiana. 
Um, that's how much of a sure thing it felt like because he had done such great things at Dayton. He seemed like such a great fit for Indiana. And I still think all of that is, is true. But obviously year one wasn't great. Year two is a disaster. And are we sure year three is going to be better? Because how many teams get better when they lose their top two scores? Because that's what's about to happen to Indiana and Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford. And they've got, yeah, a five-star freshman set to enroll, Trace, uh, Trace Jackson Davis, who's a top 20 player, class of 2019, a 6'8 big. But uh, you know they don't have another five-star prospect coming with them right now. They don't have another four-star prospect coming with them right now. So if year one wasn't good, year two was a disaster. And year three on paper isn't guaranteed to be better and certainly not significantly better, uh, that can start to put you in where people do ask questions about your job, especially at a job like Indiana. Yes. If we get to a situation a year from now and Indiana is anywhere near 500, um, it is going to get interesting in the hurry. I still don't think that – I think it would take something monumental for Archie Miller to be jettisoned after three seasons. But we'll wait and see what the roster situation looks like. And we'll, I'm – I'm certain of it. Indiana will be a a topic of some uh, of some frequency in the offseason podcast schedule, but uh, I'll 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 tag with this. This has become quite every season for me is is interesting for different reasons in college basketball. But in regard to this season, with how the bubble is developing, and you know Tuesday night just saw team after team after team that would be on the bubble just not get wins um and we'll get to one of those real quick in just a minute indiana like maybe they wind up doing what georgia did what 15 years ago and they win the big 10 tournament auto bid like you you get one of those like it's almost like a comet like every so often you get a team from a major conference that just uh that blitzes through the field uh gets that auto bid Indiana would be a prime candidate for that if if all are healthy because that's just the way the Big Ten's kind of been. There's, there's kind of just a, a boggy middle. So uh, if you're looking for any kind of hope, Hoosier fans, I know you probably won't uh, foresee your team being able to do that, but I won't put it out of the question when you've been able to beat Louisville and Marquette and Michigan State. You can beat those three teams. Maybe you can pull together a run next month. Well, that's exactly – I always, like, sort of roll my eyes when coaches or fan bases talk about, you know, anything can happen in a conference tournament. Like, we just finished 11th in our league, but you never know. I'm like, yeah, nah, we know. We, we know what you're not going to do in the conference tournament. But when you are a team that, you know, has a, a tremendous senior and a lottery pick freshman, and you've already shown the ability to beat Marquette, Louisville, Michigan State – you know, you won't have to play anybody. You don't have to beat anybody really better than those teams, certainly not significantly better than those teams in the Big Ten tournament to actually get the auto bid. So is it unlikely? Of course it's unlikely. Only one team can cut those nets. But I won't rule it out for the same reasons you won't rule it out uh, because Indiana, uh, in a um, in a mostly disastrous season, has had its moments where it looked like a, a legitimate top 20, top 15 um, college basketball team. VCU is now alone atop the A-10 standings after beating Rhode Island on Tuesday while Davidson lost at home to Dayton. We're going to talk about that next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. 
the dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone think about those adventurous activities you can do like me taking a ski trip up with the family maybe going on a camping expedition anything and everything Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So VCU is now alone atop the A-10 standings after beating Rhode Island on Tuesday while Davidson lost at home to Dayton. So the Rams are now 20-6 and overall, 11-2 and in the league. They were picked seventh in the preseason poll, now on a seven-game winning streak, top 40 at Ken Palm. It's a little bit off the national radar because the Atlantic 10, literally in the season, does not give you an opportunity to play and beat a ranked team. They do not exist in that league. It's why it really might end up being, uh, as much as I hate to say this, it might end up being a, a one-bid league, in part because you know Davidson is a bubble team that had a bad night on Tuesday night. But VCU has been an incredible story, even if it's not popping on a national radar uh, until just now when we decided to pop it on the national radar. So uh, special shouts to Mike Rhodes. It appears once again that you do not want to go to war with the Rams. Yeah, that's right. I wish you would have trivia timed me that with VCU in preseason. I probably would have guessed like fourth. I didn't realize they were that undervalued heading into the season. Um I don't know if you have the the poll in front of you or if you just had it for VCU purposes, but I think I think St. Louis was the preseason pick, but I actually thought St. Joe's would be the best team. Am I right on that? Um, first off, you're I don't know that you're aware, but you're talking to the master of ceremonies of the Atlantic Ten tip-off media luncheon. Do you realize that? Right? I'm aware of of that. Yes, <laughs> you're talking to the master of ceremonies. Do you have that on a business card? I have it. I have the card. I think I maybe tweeted it or something because it did say "Master of Ceremonies" Gary Parish, which I thought was uh, I thought All was right. nice. I like that title. Uh, St. Louis was picked first in the league, followed by St. Joseph's. Boy, you talk if, if VCU's the good story in the ATN. How St. Joseph's the other one, right? I mean, the bad one. Yes, they, they've I mean, been weird and bizarre. Um, but VCU fans, we're here for you. I know, I know you're a uh, you're a heavy contingent. Maybe uh, maybe a little surprised we're giving your team some love. But right now, with what happened on on sat on Saturday on Tuesday night, it is getting late. <laughs> this podcast might get a little frisky. Um, you know, Davidson had a shot. Grady took. I think GP, you were in uh, you were in studio, so you saw this. Was it was it uh, Grady who had that three point attempt at yeah. the buzzer that didn't fall? It was, yeah. And so that's the guy that you want taking that shot. It just doesn't fall. Uh, Davidson is now, I in my in my estimation, is just missed too many opportunities here to have a viable at large case uh, in relation to the rest of the field. You got to beat Dayton on your home floor. You just do. And so now VCU is the only team that has an at large case. I think Palm over at CBSSports.com in his latest bracketology entering Wednesday night's games. I think he had VCU on the nine line, which all things considered, I thought was pretty fair. So you get a win, you just dodge, you dodge taking just, again, kind of like what Davidson was facing with Dayton. You dodge taking a loss at home, 
you're rolling here. Next two at home, George Washington, the aforementioned St. Louis. Take care of those. Two road games remaining, Richmond, George Mason. We'll see. But VCU is fourth-ranked per-possession defense in America right now. Mike Rhodes has it going uh, very well in year number two. He's a quality coach. And just a quick note on the A-10 before I, uh, before I lob it back over to UGP. I was looking when – when I had uh, suggested that we talk about the uh, the old Rams here on the pod, I was looking at the A-10 as a whole and its history uh, in Ken Palm. It ranks 13th this season. It's just ha- it's a it's having a bad year. It's, it's similar like the Mountain West. The Mountain West and the A-10 have never been worse in the Ken Palm conference ratings in the history of Ken Palm than this year. This year actually matches the A-10 in 2005 when it was also 13th that season. Only one team made the field, GW. As a 12 seed, that was back when Xavier was in the league, uh, just Temple was in the league, just a different league overall. But this has not been a great year, which is unfortunate um, because there's some good coaches in the A-10. And actually, I actually feel the talent has been a letdown overall. But VCU is pushing nicely. So while they're going, they're just going to be concerned with getting that, uh, getting that auto bid, getting their best possible seed, the A-10 needs to hope that VCU takes care of its business in the regular season then gets beat by either a Davidson, a Dayton, uh, even George Mason is uh, it rates relatively decently. That's the only way you're going to get to two bits. So Davidson in that game was down double digits at the half. They shot like 28% from the field. And by the way, everybody thinks of Davidson. You just assume they're a great offensive team. Like, ah, Bob McKillop, Davidson. Man, they, they really run great stuff. And, um, you know, because past, I think it was six of the past seven seasons when I looked it up, Davidson had finished top 45 in offensive efficiency. This year, they're like down in the 120s. They're just not very good offensively for whatever reason. But they did um, rally to get back in a position to win the game. It was Kellen Grady who had the shot at the buzzer. He missed it. Pretty good look, all things considered. If you get a chance to go back and watch that, check the inbounds pass that was thrown to get the shot for Kellen Grady. Little buddy at Davidson threw like a 98-mile-an-hour fastball (laughs) to, to half court. It was like the best, like with 2.2 seconds on the clock or whatever it was, like the best inbounds pass I've ever seen. Uh, it actually gave them an opportunity to get um, a, a decent look in a in a situation where most teams don't get decent looks. It just didn't fall, and that was a, it's a tough one for Davidson. As for VCU, uh, again, pick seventh in the A-10. I'll go through the top six. St. Louis was one. St. Joe's was two. Davidson was three. George Mason was four. Rhode Island was five. Dayton was six, VCU was seventh, but now VCU alone in the A-10 standings. And you're exactly right. Palm did have them, have them as a nine seed in his um, Tuesday morning uh, bracketology. Um, and as you know, that's like the, it's not where you want to be. I mean, you, you might look at it and go, hey, that's that's fair. That's right. But if you're VCU, if you're on that eight, nine line, it, it almost guarantees you cannot get to the second weekend. Because it doesn't matter who you beat in your coin flip game. Now you got to play Duke, and Zion's going to, you know, beat you by twenty five. Or you, and I don't just mean Duke would beat VCU by twenty five. Like Duke is going to be favored to beat uh, almost any eight nine team, you know, by a significant margin. And so you don't want to lose games and drop and put yourself back on the bubble, but you just want to keep winning every game you can, even if they're not going to be quadrant one wins, because maybe just somehow you can climb up to that seven line, because I do think that's a much more manageable place to be than in that 8-9 game. I agree with you, and they they got to try and get to the 7 and hope they can face a 2. I think a 6 is out of the question. I think even if VCU runs the table, asking them to get to a 6, 
a six-loss VCU team, maybe, maybe the last of the sixes. But uh, all right, I love when the tw- I love when the listeners track our stuff. So let's just uh, real quick, you, you Duke second round game. We don't know who it's going to play. My blind guess. Who knows? They're going to be a one seed. My blind guess for the Duke line. Someone tweet us back at this and remind us we did this on the February twentieth podcast. I will say. I'll say 17 and a half points Duke is favored to, to win its second round game. You want to lob out a, an estimation? I'd say like 15, okay. right around 15. Okay. I, it, it, if it's like over 18, that's going to be absurd. But we don't know. Like, frankly, if it was VCU in that in that situation, like I could totally see that being the case, unquestionably. So we'll wait and see. But uh, throwing out over-unders a month in advance, I absolutely love it. VCU is a fun team, a good team, and – should be in. They uh, let you know the, for the eight ten sake, man. They better not. Uh, they better not uh, sideswipe themselves. But they're looking good right now. So Kentucky won at Missouri on Tuesday night. So really, no letdown. I know the game got a little closer than it had been in the in the final minutes, but uh, still, Kentucky gets out of there with a win. Um, they get out of there with another good performance from PJ Washington. He had eighteen points. He's now scored at least eighteen in. I think seven of his past eight games or eight of his past nine games. He is undeniably playing uh, the best basketball of his college career to date. Um, but it was uh, in Kentucky, by the way, I, I, even though I don't have them ranked where Kentucky fans insist they should be ranked, I can acknowledge that um, they're playing at an extremely high level. They're 12 and one past 13 games and coming off of that big win over the weekend uh, over Tennessee. But Tuesday wasn't all good because Reed Travis, um, left the game with what is being described as a uh, right knee sprain. Mm-hmm. Was that right? Or yes. was it an ankle? No, knee. It, it, it was a knee. and Right knee sprain. And John Calipari afterwards said, you know, we're going to get the MRI and we'll see. But, like, if he has to, you know, miss a week or two weeks, then we'll just, you know, I've got, I've got big guys who think they ought to be playing more. Well, okay, now you get to play. <laughs> and go, let's, let's see how it goes. And so – this doesn't impact Kentucky nearly as much as it would impact other teams because Kentucky's got five-star backups. But it's not insignificant when you're fighting for a one seed. If you lose Reed Travis for a game or two or five, that that does matter to some degree. It absolutely matters. I said on CBS Sports HQ on Tuesday night that – and we've even talked about this briefly on the podcast in a couple past episodes. Like When you watch Kentucky play in person – the most physically intimidating and largest player they have is Reed Travis. He's not as tall as EJ Montgomery or Nick Richards, but he is bigger than those dudes. He is a full-grown man. And even Calipari said after the Tennessee win that P.J. Montgomery, who had one of the best games of his career in helping to beat the Vols, owed a ton to what Travis was doing on Grant Williams and the load that he was taking on. So we don't know how long he's going to be out. Maybe it's two games, maybe it's two weeks. Hopefully it's not too much longer. But you take Reed Travis out of there, they're a different team. They're not as good. I have never been uh, a buyer on E.J. Montgomery or Nick Richards from the start of the season in terms of them being true game changers, season-altering players for Kentucky. They have their moments. They can be good. They can be serviceable. The team is better that both of them are available. But what you said is right on the money. Those two guys probably think that they should be getting more minutes than they are, and now they're going to have a chance to, at least in the immediate future, because there's no way. I mean, come on, barring a miracle, there's no way Travis is going to play in the home game against Auburn. 
probably won't play in a game for a week from now at home against Arkansas. So let's see what those two guys can do. And then let's just see how the dynamic with Kentucky changes, at least in the short term. If you're a UK fan and you're a little worried about, you know, will our team, you know, get picked off here or there? Will Reed Travis be available for the road game against Tennessee? Well, we'll wait and see on that. But I will I will add this. Um, you know, as your team chases for a one seed here, if, let's just say Travis is out for four games and ten, and UK goes two and two in that stretch. So say they drop just they drop the road games, Tennessee and then Ole Miss, and he's back for the season finale at home against Florida. Plays well, is back for the SEC tournament. I do think that it's fair to uh, to assess that Kentucky might still have a chance uh, at a seed line that you think is deserving of, be it a one or a two, if. Travis is back and at full health and the committee takes into account that it did not have a, a good player for two of those losses. Now the losses still will count and should count, but the point is if he comes back, he comes back strong. The, it might not ding you in terms of where you land in the bracket because obviously for the majority of the season he's been involved and has been a key player for them. But the biggest mystery is we just don't know how long he will be out for this. It's, it's just, it could be, it literally could be seven days or it could be four weeks. We wait and see. It might not impact Kentucky's season as you know in totality, in the sense that wherever they're going to go in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, Reed Travis is p- presumably going to be back and available to help them do that if he misses any time at all. But what it could do is cost them an SEC title. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it could cause them to lose a game that they can't afford to lose in what is a tight SEC race that also at the top includes LSU and Tennessee. So, again, not an insignificant development, and we will wait to hear um, uh, you know what the MRI shows on, on Reed Travis. Kentucky's got five regular season games left, three are inside Rupp Arena, two on the road. The road games, both tough at Tennessee and at Ole Miss. So, Wednesday night, big game. Number eight, North Carolina, at number one, Duke. It's game one of two scheduled for the regular season. Tip is at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on ESPN. Duke is opened as a nine-point favorite. Feels like this would be more interesting to me if it were in Chapel Hill because it's just hard to think anybody is going to beat or even push uh, Duke inside Cameron Indoor. And, yes, I know Duke has lost inside Cameron Indoor, and I know Duke has been pushed inside Cameron Indoor, but it's not uh, an easy thing to get your head around in advance of it actually happening. Uh, let me just ask you, um, what interests you most about what is uh, this this week's quite clearly biggest game? Uh, I think what interests me most is when we get to these, you know, in-season games, and I, I like to see how certain individual matchups sometimes dictate the outcomes of games. So Kobe White has been a very, very good freshman, uh, top seven, top eight freshman from the start of the season until now, and he'll be matched up on Trey Jones. And if if you tell me right now, like Kobe White's stat line is he shoots 42% from the field, he winds up with 14 points, six assists, six turnovers. I'm going to say North Carolina not only doesn't win, but it probably isn't that dramatic over the final 10 minutes, Parrish. So what he can do, what kind of success he can have, I think is uh, uh, among the most important things for Carolina in this game. I'll, I'll add that I thought that was similarly the case in terms of Kobe White at home when he was going up against just the, the overall machine that is the Virginia defense. He didn't have a particularly great game, but he didn't have a, a poor game either. And in fact, it was his three-pointer that didn't count that even Tony Bennett admitted was probably the turning point uh, in that game. So we'll just we'll, we'll see what happens there. I also I want to see... So R.J. Bear just had a triple-double over the weekend. It was only the fourth in Duke program history. Apparently, he was fighting a bug even a couple of days before. Comes back and has a triple-double. Um, he and Zion Williams... Uh, R.J. Bear's led 
Duke in scoring the entire season, and, and Zion has been slowly creeping, creeping, creeping up, and I think they're uh, five-tenths of a point within each other now. Um, Zion just seems relentless, like almost every single game. It's just, you know, one thing after another after another in terms of what he can do, how he's contributing. Uh, will we see uh, Carolina be able to to handle him at all? Or will this be like, will this go down as uh, a Duke, you know, dominant win over UNC, but not only that, like, you know, it will be remembered among the five most, uh, you know, impressive and dominant performances for Zion Williamson at his one-year Duke career. Because the key thing also to remember with UNC is it's still battling a lot of a lot of health issues. Your favorite dude, Leaky Black, still not, still not good to go. Uh, Sterling Manley, when I talked to Roy Williams last week, said he would need a full week's worth of practice at full speed before he would return. He hasn't hit that yet. Um, Nasir Little, who a little banged up, but is, is back. But, like, how is he 100%? So UNC isn't a tough spot. If we did have it in a year where Carolina got to host first, I think that would be uh, I think that would be more interesting. But I also think nine is just a little bit too big of a number, Parrish. Not gonna, you know, I'm not wagering on the game or anything like that. But for those who are so inclined for this kind of stuff, to me, that's just too many points. I think UNC will play close, keep it close. So I think that the the Tar Heels are more likely to cover than not in this one. While acknowledging Duke at its best is extremely scary, particularly on that court. And I say that knowing they dropped to Syracuse. So those are some of the things I'm looking for. Oh, by the way, and one, like apparently Barack Obama is going to be attending this game. Tickets are going for like three thousand dollars. Curious as to where he's going to sit, but uh, it it is an event as always, and this will be uh you know the biggest event of the week in sports. How much better would it be if instead of Leaky Black being injured, he had just taken a personal leave of absence absence from the team to record a new mixtape that would create quite the uh quite the controversial storyline if you would have if you would have had a a prominent player on a prominent team decide to step away for a month just so he could continue his music career but i know that's what you're wishing for <laughs> there's nothing on this planet i'm wishing more for than for leaky black to record a mixtape and 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 get a guest verse on it from Drake or Cardi B or something like that cuz that's the type of thing that can propel you to another level. Right now you and I are talking about Leaky Black and the listeners of the Ion College Basketball podcast, they're talking about Leaky Black. But if we want the whole world to appreciate Leaky Black, we probably need a new mixtape with um I mean yeah, Cardi B verse. <laughs> Don't let no one let Devin Downey hear all of this that's going on right now because I, I think you're getting close. I think you're getting close here, switching out your allegiance to your favorite college player of all time. That's all I'll say. I won't do that. That's not that's not who I am. I'm, I'm going to stay committed to Devin Downey, but I can also properly appreciate Leaky Black and his um... – Also injured, by the way. So, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, continue. Where will Barack sit at Cameron Indoor? I hope at the Cameron Crazies. Like, how good would it be if with yes. Leaky Black sitting courtside, Barack Obama was in the student section, face, paint painted, uh, face painted blue? What if Barack? Remember the Speedo guy from like 15 years ago? Like, what if Barack Obama did Speedo guy? Like, <laughs> uh, what? My, his daughter <laughs> might. She was in the bikini pictures that had. I I got on Twitter last night. I think it was and and. Uh, little Obama was trending. I was like, oh, my God, what is she up to? And it was really just like bikini pics, and she posted some bad stuff about President Trump, and she was drinking wine. She's only 20. So she, she was all in the news last night. Well, Barack Maybe. Obama's going to be uh, all over this game, I'm sure. He, he takes in, by the way, he does this not – Every year, but he's he's been he's been not shy about going to college basketball games, which has been a which has been a cool thing. But 
the secret security that will be with him, I don't think would allow him to go into the student section, which, by the way, Steph Curry did at his alma mater at All-Star Weekend, which was a cool, really cool moment. Um, and I think there were a bunch of dudes that were in, uh, like, Speedos there, by the way. But um, it would be awesome. But, yeah, that's the, that's this is, you, know, you know the building. I know the building. I'm just – I'm genuinely curious about how – the Secret Service operation will work there and how Obama gets in and out of the building. And it's a really crowded, uh, it's just a crowded little gym. So, like, where is he going to sit? Like, I don't know. It should, uh, I, that's, like, become, like, a weird, interesting side story to this because, again, the gym is going to be packed to absolute capacity. Tickets on the secondary market are, are more expensive now easily than Super Bowl tickets were. Now, venue size has a lot to do with that, but... Uh, He'll be in the house. He might. He'll probably be far from the only famous guy in the house. But when uh, when a former president announces, or you know, word gets out that he's going to attend a basketball game of this magnitude, obviously it tends to uh, become a major side topic in addition to the game itself. And just you know, here recently we've had Jay Z courtside at a Duke game, Floyd Mayweather courtside at a Duke game. LeBron James courtside at a Duke game, and now we'll have Barack Obama presumably courtside at a Duke game. I would, I would, I'm just guessing here, but when I have been there, when other famous people were there, like I was there one night when Peyton Manning was there, he sat under the goal closest mm-hmm. to the Duke bench. And so maybe look there because I do think that's where they have a little space. Um, it, it, it's impossible to overstate how small that and cramped that place is. Like it, it's it's the most difficult place to get in and out of a media seat yes. in college basketball. Like you really have to get incredible cooperation from the Cameron Crazies, or it's 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 nearly impossible. And so I think under that goal near the Duke bench is where they do have some like just normal folding chairs and they could, they could create some space and maybe that'd be the best place for them. But I'll let the secret service figure that out to your point about um, ticket prices. Uh, Sporting news uh, did a, a compilation piece talking to like vivid and uh, StubHub and seat geek, obviously here on the Island college basketball podcast, we love seat geek, but vivid uh, said that it sold a ticket earlier this week for Wednesday's game for $10,652. The cheapest ticket available earlier tonight via SeatGeek, when I looked, was $3,600. That's the cheapest. Vivid says it's uh, sales traffic on Duke games this year, not just this game, but the entire season. It's up 82% over last season. And Duke prices, Duke ticket prices, are up 178%. And so this isn't um, just a Duke thing or a Duke is awesome thing. Because Duke is, as my buddy Pete Gillen once said, Duke is Duke, and Duke is often awesome. This is a Zion Williamson thing. Like Floyd Mayweather, LeBron James, uh, President Obama, Jay-Z, Derek Carr. and then just random people with uh, disposable income paying thousands of dollars. That's a, that is the Zion Williamson effect, and I do think it's going to have a similar impact in, in the NBA. He is already one of the most famous one-name superstar basketball players in the world regardless of level of sport. And on my radio show earlier on Tuesday, we just sort of daydreaming, you know, like how unbel- like the Grizzlies are probably have the, the worst situation in the NBA right now in terms of lack of young assets, lack of future draft picks. Like I really don't think there's a, a franchise in the NBA that has a, 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 a shakier future than the Grizzlies. And we were talking like you win the lottery and you get Zion and he changes that immediately. 
you know, the Grizzlies went to the playoffs seven straight years and almost never played on national television. Never got ESPN games, never got TNT games because it's a small market team with no superstars. You take Zion Williamson, put him on a team, TNT's going to want your games. ESPN's going to want your games because it won't even be television executives like guessing. Ooh, we wonder if people will watch Zion. Like they already know people will watch the Warriors. People will watch LeBron. They know what works on television. They don't have to guess. Well, I wonder if they'll watch Zion. They already know they'll watch Zion. The ratings for Duke games, television ratings are up. Ticket prices are soaring. And that's all. Mostly, I should say. But close to all. Um you know, connected to Zion Williamson. Yeah, he's he's carrying that. I mean, he's the star of the band. Now, there there was plenty made about uh, R.J. Barrett, without a doubt, because heading into the season, he was considered the better draft prospect, was put ahead on mock boards, and his, you know, number one prospect in the class and all that. So R.J. does bring a, a certain level of that. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, he is the latest, greatest Canadian uh, to come in and, and be the next great prospect at both the college level and the pro level. And then just, you know, these are to lesser extents, but Cam Reddish, you know, there was a TMZ story. You wrote a column about it two years ago where he was uh, seen leaving a restaurant with, uh, I believe it was Clutch, and even just even Trey Jones not being nearly the name those guys are. He's the younger brother of a point guard who won a national championship with Duke. So mostly it is Zion, but it has been the perfect confluence of events in terms of the other freshmen that you could put on there uh, to, you know, to hype up the hamp, uh, to, uh, to hype up uh, and amp up the hype as much as possible. Um, but yeah, it's it's be- it's become just a massive, massive, massive thing, and uh, and it's the kind of thing that who knows what Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, Trey Jones, Cam Reddish will be in the pros. But a decade from now, regardless of where Duke's season goes from here, whether it you know loses in the second round, wins a national championship, or whatever. Um, uh, it's the kind of thing that people want to write oral histories about, or just if not, you know, outright stories about the year that Mike Shashevsky had Zion Williamson, and and what, and however this year winds up falling in the greater arc in the winter of his career, if this is the last great team he'll ever end up wind up having, we don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's got two or three or four more coming, or maybe this is actually it. So I've thought about that recently. I think it's a it's a pretty interesting that's playing out, and just I want to circle back to one more thing you said about Cameron. I absolutely love that we still have this. I hope this is the case in 50 years. It's a cramped media seat. That building gets hot. The, the students engulf you, both media, players. It is a tight venue, and it cannot be replicated anywhere else in sports. There are other awesome, amazing venues in college basketball, but where uh, in an era, you know, speaking as a media person, there are more and more schools are just moving the media, sometimes just a little bit back, a little bit back here, a little bit back there. Ironically, I don't think there is a worse media seat in college basketball than where North Carolina puts you. Even Kentucky, you're not that high. Um, and yet Duke, you literally can't get a better or a closer seat. So it's one thing that I really cherish about Cameron. And I don't think it, uh, I'm really knocking on wood here, I don't think it will ever change because there's nowhere else really to put the media in the building. And so you have to put them right there. It really adds to the allure and frankly to be honest when it's when it, when that is part of it it also has a way of getting more media people into the building and just and there is a gradual uh effect in which uh the coverage you know more people want to be at the game it just becomes a more competitive thing and uh i think for many reasons duke has become the most polarizing and and popular um or anti-popular team in college basketball over the years but in that specific regard i think it's had at least at least some role in addition to of course all the winning and all the stars and mike Krzyzewski. My favorite thing about Cameron is not the inside of the building. It's the outside of the building. 
um, because it is so it just blends in with the rest of the campus. Like when you're on campus at Syracuse, you go, okay, there's the Carrier Dome. You see it driving in to Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, yeah, and that's an extreme example. But like, okay, you're on campus at um, Kansas. Okay, that that's Allen Fieldhouse. I see that. You know, okay, that's the Humphrey Coliseum at Mississippi State. You know, if you are on campus at Duke, Cameron Indoor looks like every other building on the campus. It's mostly built underground. And so it's not like towering over the campus where you can see it from a mile away. If you didn't have this little sign right in front of it that says Cameron, um, you know, Cameron Indoor, um, you wouldn't know it's Cameron Indoor. And to me, like for anybody who, who's never seen it, because you've seen the inside of Cameron Indoor a million times, you might not have seen the outside. Google the outside of Cameron Indoor Stadium. Just in Google Images, it'll pop up. It looks like just any – like if you – you might just think it's the history building or the English building or whatever. It doesn't look like a place where the biggest brand in college basketball plays. And to me, that's that's the neatest aspect of the whole thing. I, I agree. Um, now, adjacent to it is, I think, a, I think a five-story, maybe a seven-story athletics building. Krzyzewski's office is on the top. Um, and so that looks it, – it also blends in with the whole style of the architecture on the campus. But uh, when you're at the far end of Krzyzewskiville and you kind of look down and at this moment in time when all the tents are set up, um, that's kind of a cool view as well. But then, yeah, if you're looking at it from that angle – just to the left is Cameron Indoor, and they even recently, like a few years back, before they uh, before they remodeled the entrance, like you walked in and it felt like total like humble high school gym. Now they've they've updated that a little bit, and so it's it's not quite what it was, uh, but still the point you're making there is uh, is absolutely right. Let's pick the game. Let's predict what uh, you said. The lines nine. I think we're both going to take Duke. I will take Duke. But I'll take them to a lesser extent. I think this is going to be a fun, entertaining game. I think the general, you know, public and 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 national media that uh, you know write, read, talk, react off this are going to say, you know what, that was a really good night for college basketball. I'll say like because it's going to be high scoring. I'll say Duke, Duke wins along the lines of say ninety four eighty eight. I submitted a score for a video I did for CBS Sports HQ, and I think the score was Duke eighty eight. North Carolina 82, so Duke to win the game, but North Carolina to cover. But So that's my official prediction. But if Duke just jumps on them and ends up winning by 20, that won't surprise me either. I think we've reached a point, and I know the Duke fans listening are going to go, how could you talk like this about Duke and then not rank them number one? I've explained that a million times. Um, I, I think Gonzaga deserves to be ranked number one right now. I'm not going to hold their conference affiliation against them. Um, but if you ask me, you know, who am I going to pick to win the national championship? I think I'm going to pick Duke. I'm not ignorant to how awesome they are. And I think at this point, we all should be at a point where Duke beating literally anybody by 15 or 20 points is it's all it's always on the table. I think it is always on the table. And since you mentioned that the last time UNC lost by at least 15 against Duke came in 2013, recent results. 5, 10, 10, 4, 8, 7. So the, the rivalry has been rewarding as of late. It wasn't like uh, there, were, there was a stretch there in the mid-aughts where a lot of them were close, and there was a stretch where um, I didn't what, – what was the Hansborough record? Didn't, did Hansborough never lose in Cameron Indoor or something like that? Do you remember that stat? Am I just making that up? I thought that was the case. Give me text, Rostin. 
<laughs> we got we got to test we got to text Ross team at this hour. He would know. <laughs> uh, UNC fans and Duke fans will know. I want to say there's something there's some sort of hands bro Duke stat. I think he it was either they never lost at home to Duke or he never lost at Cameron. There's something like that. I I forget. But the point okay. is. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. What else we got to do besides sleep three hours? Sure, let's lucky. Google in real time. Tyler Hansbro, Duke. His, his, his senior year, I got it right here. His okay. senior year, he beat Duke. I got it, yeah. Uh, yeah. 101-87 at Cameron. It's, yeah. So his junior year, he also beat Duke 76-68 at Cameron. We might be heading in the right direction. We his are. sophomore year, he beat Duke 79-73 at Cameron. And then in his freshman season, he they won. Let me double check it, Norlander. They won at Duke, eighty-three seventy-six. Tyler Hansborough leaves Chapel Hill four and zero all time in Cameron Indoor against Duke. Let me ask you this, because that's crazy impressive. Yeah, you think Leaky Leaky Black could do that too? I don't actually. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Leaky Black can do that. That's not going to happen. Uh, Psycho T has got the, has got uh, a leg up on on Leaky in that regard. I'm sorry to break the news I, to you. Yeah, I listen. I know you're telling me the truth. It's not what I wanted to hear, but I know you're telling me the truth. I gotcha. All right. Um, hey, you want to call it a night or what? I think I do want to call it the night. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Um, those of you who have already done it and rated it five stars and left nice comments, thank you, thank you, thank you. If I don't uh, make it clear enough to you that we appreciate that, um, consider this me taking the opportunity to make it clear to you we we really do appreciate that it makes a big big difference both with apple podcast and our bosses so thank you for doing that if you haven't subscribed yet please go subscribe it only takes a minute um i'll owe you forever and we will talk to you again on thursday night to look back at duke unc to get ready for the weekend till then take care